0: And then that should give us uh, a bit of room in case there's loud knocking or laughing or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) That clipped. (laughs) Oh my God, you can do your laugh on command. That's hilarious. (laughs)
1: Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, that's clipping. Uh, Um, Okay, if that's clipping, I'll take it down a bit further.
0: Okay. (laughs) The problem as well, Bill, is that you have a great, dynamic range in your voice like I'm pretty much always around the same sort of level um, but you go from like yeah. extremely quiet to extremely loud you have a big range it's because
1: it's I'm I'm just such a good musician
0: it's because you're bringing that big voice energy you know <laughs> I'm aware that there's going to be uh, a few new people here because of having put up my, my annual sort of like support me video and I talked about the podcast on this um, and I'm sure those new people are, expect- are expecting, like, red-hot world-building and con and content. Uh, so I'm going to have to disappoint here and start the show with a bit of uh, uh, my, my theory about rap. Uh, it won't be long. It's just a thing that I would like to float towards Bill, folks, because Bill is my musical buddy. So just bear with me for five minutes. Bill. Hager. Rap, right? There seems to be a shift in rap these days. From like what I would call like trad rap uh traditional rap to like uh mumble rap, uh like sort of trap based minimalist rap, correct
1: yes, uh like in terms of vocal delivery,
0: yeah, in terms of instrumentation as well, like the beats are very okay, unique and stuff, but um. But yeah, there seems to be a new a new style emerging, right? And the impression I get is that people of the old style, which is kind of always the case, uh, dislike people of the new style. And uh, they cite things like this new style is idiotic. Uh, they don't say anything. You know, they slur their words. The music isn't that great, etc. It's meaningless. It's just garbage, right? Okay. By that... Sta- uh, oh, yeah, and Eminem is a notable proponent of bashing mumble rap, right? But by that standard, mm-hmm. by Eminem's own standard, he just released uh, an album that is, like, all of those things, but, like, just not mumble rap. Like, so he released this this album called, I think it's Music to Murder By. To Be Murdered By. To Be Murdered By. Uh, and in, I think, yeah. In particular, there's a song called uh, Godzilla, that ends with just, like, him rapping really, 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 really fast as a sort of kind of protest against this new culture of, like, extremely slow, drawly rap. And in doing so, he's just, it's just meaningless, it's incoherent, it's silly, it's musically not very exciting. It's all the things that, like, traditional rappers uh, cite as being the negative points of mumble rap just done in... Like this The old form And therefore it's good And everyone's celebrating it, Being like Oh it's just Like Eminem's at it again Like oh he's, he's slaying And stuff And it's just I, I listened to the album it's just kind of like It's just garbage Like it's actual garbage And it's like It's like It's like reverse mumble rap it's the same effect achieved through opposite means. Exactly. And I'm not entirely sure if okay. like lyrical rappers, I think is the word that that is uh, used. Um, I'm not entirely sure those lyrical rappers kind of realize that they're doing that. Like, I think they might actually, like Eminem might think like, yeah, I'm bringing my A game here by, you know, spitting like 20, 30 words a second or whatever the hell and having no coherent story or nothing. They they, they think it's like superior, but it's like, the, it's the same. It's the same stuff. Have you noticed this? Is this the thing that crossed your radar? Am I crazy? Is this good? Have you listened to the track, etc.? Uh,
1: I listened to, I listened to the, the bit of it in question, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think Eminem has seen his A-game in about 12 years, <laughs> no, personally. No, that's fair. Um, uh, I haven't liked anything he's done in a long time. Um, I think he's very technically able. I, this is an interesting thing that happens, I think happens a lot with, um, like, really, really proficient musicians. Um I'm sure what he's doing is incredible and there is a sense and a logic underneath it. Um, But it's kind of, I think it's kind of so advanced that only he really gets it, or at least it's not, it's not audible to me as a listener. And, you know, I'm reasonably, reasonably into hip hop. I'm reasonably good at listening to music in general. And, and I'm sure that there is a structure and there is a pattern to some of his verses that I find incomprehensible but I just, I find them incomprehensible. Like their, their technique over effect Mm. is kind of what I feel about it. And you can see similar things happening with like shred guitarists where, yeah, what you're playing is super impressive from a technical point of view, but I can't hear what the music is. Or um, I'm sure you get it in in jazz as well. Like, yeah, you're, you're doing great stuff over those changes, but I can't follow it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, that, that Eminem has been guilty of for, oh god at least I i first thought of it about six or seven years ago with Rap God yeah um, that's the
0: beginning point for me as well where he just decided that uh, good rap equals extremely quick and impressive
1: yeah um, and like deeply deeply I don't know I'm sure there's like loads of cross rhythms and stuff going on there but I mean, I, I, I don't know that I can't, I can't hear it.
0: Yeah. It's, I I don't, I don't understand. Like obviously each to his own and everyone can like their own music and that, that that's cool. Uh, but like for me, I'd much, I'd much rather listen to like 21 Savage, uh, like incoherently stumble his way through a verse <laughs> with like slow traffic beats behind them. than listen to just this cascade of word vomit, no matter how good that word vomit is. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a thing I wanted to bring up is just—it's uh, a frustration I've been having with 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 the rap community of late because it's just like everyone's shouting at everyone, uh, saying that everyone's crap, and it's like, yeah, everyone is indeed crap. What you're doing is not uh, <laughs> more or less crap than the next guy. We just stop, like <laughs> none of you are without sin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, that was just my other, my other thing. Uh, new listeners, uh, we're going to commence. Uh, uh, world building and con related stuff right this very instance <laughs> follow up uh, so i i would like to start follow up uh and i would like to apologize for the semi incoherent mess that the last episode was i was very i was very disappointed with myself on the last episode bill um i i i, fer- I left out things in the edit and i i didn't make any sense in certain bits, so I just want to just clear my good name for a second. Uh, apologies to everyone uh, for me leave, uh, not beeping the swear words. I realize I realize no one actually cares and no one's offended, but like just apologies in sort of sort of like not continuing the aesthetic or the sort of like uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the lie that both Bill and I really care about the word words. Sh- uh and it kind of ruins the sort of gag if the if the words do creep in and they've already been um been beat before so apologies for that
1: monocles popped out of eyes and into teacups all over artifacts <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and the other thing uh i want to uh mention about the last show was we had a discussion about uh universal grammar and I handled that so poorly because, like, the the question, the person who wrote in the question was asking specifically about universal grammar. And you, Bill, were also talking about universal grammar. But in my head, I just decided to talk about linguistic universals, which are entirely different things. And the two of us were having two separate conversations at one another and not really addressing the <laughs> question. And it was it was so frustrating in the edit that I just cut that section down by about half, which I probably shouldn't have done because the section was even more incoherent then, and people were kind of like, what's Edgar talking about? <laughs> and it's just like, it was a train wreck of things. <laughs> so just for people who listened to that last show, uh, Universal Grammar is like a Chomsky thing, uh, where it's kind of like, uh, I don't know how to define it. It's kind of like a a theory of, uh, a sort of sociolinguistic theory of the fundamentals of language. Um and it says things like, like you were up in, in the in the last show, but it says things like all languages are capable of recursion. Like that's the sort of stuff that's dealt with in this universal grammar. It's quite a controversial thing. Some people love it. Some people hate it, etc. Uh, linguistic universals are different in that they're stuff that uh, they tend to deal with more, uh, I guess, uh, macro level stuff. No, more micro level stuff. Like all languages tend to have a rounded front vowel and uh, round-the-back vowel, for example, let's just say. Um, That's the sort of stuff in linguistic universals. Um, They're not the same thing, uh, and the nomenclature is confusing because they both use the word uh, universal. The the question last month was like, do you need to reflect specifically universal grammar uh, if you want to create a naturalistic conlang? And the answer to that, I think, is no, because universal grammar is very controversial, and even professionals in the field... Don't think it's legit. Some do, some don't. So it's it's. I think it's a uh, in my uneducated opinion. It's a it's a topic that is very up for debate, and it's in no means like hard concrete science. Um, if you're a linguist, feel free to write into me and tell me why I'm wrong about that. But that's the impression I get from reading various books and stuff. Does that make sense, Bill? Yeah. If
1: you're a linguist, come on, convince us. <laughs> Noam Chomsky, right into the show. <laughs>
0: and
1: prove to us. That con should care about universal grammar.
0: <laughs> send, send us an email.
1: Noam Chomsky. <laughs> he apparently is actually really good at replying to emails from random people. Get
0: out. Really? Yeah, apparently so. Wow. Apparently so. Like,
1: he can send him an email or something, and he will very likely reply to you. Wow. Jesus. No, he might, he might reply and say, I don't know anything about this, or I don't know what you're talking about. Have a nice day. But apparently he'll reply. Hmm.
0: In my head, I'd like to think that sometimes he replies
1: with memes. And um, someone actually emailed him to ask about memes recently. Oh, really? And I think he just said, I don't really have any, I don't really have any opinion on memes. Oh. I'm, I'm going to Google that right now. because it was quite funny.
0: That's terrible. I was expecting him to like be, be trigger happy with the memes and response to people. Like, and specifically the kind of like memes circa like 20, uh, tw- uh, 2010, 09, 10, that sort of uh, impact font memes, old school memes. Um, It tickles me. Uh, The
1: old image macros. Exactly. Someone emailed him and asked him about memes and about Baby Yoda. And he said, I don't really have any opinions on these.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Baby Yoda's hella cute. Hella cute. Um, Agreed. uh, At some stage, Bill, we must talk about uh, uh, The Mandalorian. Um, Not now, because it turned into a whole thing. But uh, uh, I have thoughts about it. So we should put that in in for future shows. Also, not now, because I haven't seen it. Oh okay you should watch it. Um <laughs> <laughs> more pressingly. <laughs> more pressingly. All right so that's uh, number 1 item but again apologies people like I I am I am not a good uh person for like talking off the cuff uh and the last show was um uh, an exemplar of that so apologies for that. Uh and Keep uh in u/drowsen Keep in the Reddit uh, created a habitable planet graphing calculator using Desmos I think is the um is the platform and if old school Artifacts fans might remember ages and ages ago I made a how to build a terrestrial planet video um which talked about the different values terrestrial planets can have habitable terrestrial planets can have in terms of like mass, radius density etc um gravity etc and uh Dros and Keep formalized it into a graph. So you can go check the links in the show notes. And if you if you have play around with it, anything in the gray zone, that's a valid uh, terrestrial planet. There you go. And you no know, work required. You don't even need to watch my video anymore. This is a, a wonderful time saver. So thank you, Droz and Keep. Genuinely, thank you. That's a really, really cool little thing. Uh, and I should actually chuck that in the, show, in the description of that video because it's really useful. Um, so yeah, links in the show notes. Go check it out. Cool. Uh, And then finally, we got a very, very large email from a... uh, Jamie, Uh, the person did not write via the official feedback form, so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say their full name, so I'm just going to go with Jamie. Um, It was a really big email asking, could a planet be... Could the weather, the climate of a planet, be created uh, by extinction-level impacts? So, like... You know, winter is post asteroid impact. Uh, summer is once the fallout from that has uh, has subsided, etc. Um, and they they propose a really interesting system they've really taught about this uh, uh, but they have some some questions just as to put out there. Um, first of all the what do I think of the notion of could a habitable planet be made habitable by extinction level events? Um, and I get the idea of you know if you have a, a very uh, a very cold planet for example asteroid hits debris is put in the air trapping uh, basically just greenhouse gas effect making the planet warmer etc and um, that all seems legit and you could probably get away with it in fiction i question the time scale at which these things would occur and i question the magnitude of temperature changes um i also question uh the availability of um asteroids um because You know, we had things like the late heavy bombardment uh, in our solar system and they kind of occur more in the formation stages of systems where there's bits of stuff still, there's lots of stuff still orbiting around, there's lots of collisions. But as the system matures more and more, you tend to have less and less impacts. Uh, So I don't know how long term, even if you hand wave the problems with uh, weather by asteroid impact... Or climate by asteroid impact. I don't know how long that would be uh, sustainable. Um, and also, life needs some degree of regularity uh, to to exist. Uh, and I don't know how regular asteroids could come. Um, and then there's the problem, obviously, of it's uh, all the ejecta that's put into the atmosphere can be extremely uh, well not toxic. Toxic is probably the wrong word because it's not poisonous, but it's not like. It's not like the asteroid impact is going to kick up a load of water vapor, and that's going to have a greenhouse gas effect. It's going to kick up like dust and debris and all of that, and that can be bad for life as well. Um, so it's interesting this the scenario, but I don't know if I I don't know if I would buy it in like a novel, for example. Um, what are your thoughts? This is super cool. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. Yeah,
1: uh, it, my my kind of main concern with that would be highly irregular, um, or you know it would most likely be, be irregular, and just the the trauma of having something like that constantly happen. I mean, it's an extinction level event, so mm-hmm. not so much about the effect on the climate, but the effect of a massive asteroid impact, which, you know, as you say, is an extinction level event, is going to be difficult on life, um. It will kill a load of things uh, unless it was very, very specifically adapted to survive that. And in purely practical terms, it will be, I, I can't see how that would, that would be very unlikely to arise naturally. I think that you would have uh, life equipped to deal with it when it happens. Um, and that enough would survive in order for it to be a viable uh, Pressure, evolutionary pressure, or selection pressure, or whatever the, whatever the correct term is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I could well be wrong about that. Um, you could get a similar effect through, um, maybe smaller, more frequent impacts. Um, because you can get a significant cooling effect from something smaller than a, an extinction level event, I'm sure. Uh, are from volcanic eruptions Mm -hmm. like there was a there was a mini ice age in the 1850s after a volcanic eruption yeah for sure that would be a similar uh means of achieving the same effect that you had a you know a highly volcanically active planet and that the the ash and the ejector from that cooled the planet and that would possibly be less traumatic
0: yeah and and Jamie brings this up um they talk about uh, the volcanic eruptions a uh, continuous wildfire ejecting ash um so i i don't think they're oh, so they do i don't so think their do. hypothesis is uh or i don't think their their setting is necessarily uh would need to have into uh, asteroids um impacts um mm-hmm. <laughs> it would just need to have like you know it it basically climate mediated by catastrophe whatever that catastrophe is yeah. Um, but it's a fun setting it's a really fun setting it's just yeah very it's cool. hard I suppose hard science wise I don't see it but you know like other implausible things I've I'm put in put in fiction and it works just fine you know mm-hmm. let us know Jamie if because you wrote a very long email um, let us know if you'd be okay with perhaps me putting, uh, your idea about how such a system would work in the show notes. Cause I don't, I don't want to read it out in there. It's very, very long. Uh, if that's the thing you'd be interested in, let me know, stick it in the, I'd stick it in the Reddit and then people, uh, might have, um, uh, be able to jump in. Uh, we're talking points on it. Um, anyhow, so that, that is, if I find my show notes back, that is the three items of follow-up slash email I have. Uh, shall we move on to main topic? So I've been talking for lots there, Bill, um and uh, no one wants that. So let's 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 have a bit of bill this episode. Uh, let's have a bit of world billing.
1: Let's do it. Um so once again we're back in Ecairn. Woo! Um like you introduced to the new listeners at the start of the episode. And uh, once again this is a piece of diegetic world building. Um, an in-universe document. Um, so we're learning about the we're learning about the setting exclusively from within, through the the eyes and understandings of the people who live there mm-hmm. and experience it, rather than from some neutral outside observer. Um, so I'll just I'll just get straight into this. Well, I knew that this day would come. I hadn't quite admitted it to myself, but one part of my soul knew that I'd do it. I have burned my uniform. I hiked up to Shkarja's camp this morning. They knew I was in the area, doubtless they knew precisely where I had camped, and I was greeted with no less than the usual suspicion. Shkarja himself was occupied in the training of some craft to the younger scouts, and so I shared a kettle of the local tea with some of his troops. They were companionable enough, despite their suspicion, and made efforts to include me in their discussion of game, weather, and camp gossip. When shkarya at length finished his teachings, he received me at that same campfire. No longer does he call me friend. There cannot be any Hoitan chief who thus addresses an Abeski company man. Not anymore. Curious, I still describe myself as a company man. Perhaps at that point I still was. What am I now? suppose I must find out. He did not call me friend, but he listened easily as I told him of my orders and my decision to renounce them, and my disgust at what had taken place in the west. He must have known the intent with which I had been sent to Hoitan. How could he not? And he cordially accepted my expressions of shame and regret. His composure changed not at all until I stepped aside, began to remove my uniform, and cast into the fire the Hoytan have a stronger taboo against the naked form than we, and I hoped by this act of debasement to press the sincerity of my intent. I have no more loyalty to the company or to the spires, and I put myself at the mercy of Skarya. After what felt like an hour of consideration, Shkaria spoke to a lieutenant in low tones too low for me to hear. She rushed off and shortly returned with a suit of clothes, an old tunic, boots and cloak, Ready to be discarded. They were handed to me, and I dressed as Shkarya commended my bravery and honesty. He retrieved my tool belt from the ground and fixed it around my waist. You are a man of no nation and no loyalty. Do not seek out our camps, and we will not harm you. We will speak again at a time of my choosing. These were the last words he spoke to me. And so I am adrift, free from the terrible duties assigned to me and yet alone in the strange land. I have spent half my career trying to win the trust of these people. In rejecting the nation of my birth, I have lost both worlds, but I have not lost my desire to be among the Hóitán. I shall break camp tomorrow and hike north. The hunting is rich there, and Shgaria will find me if he wants. Eleventh te no longer Tamar Company Scout.
0: Very cool, very cool. Uh, I think again for new listeners, Bill, uh, it might be an idea to uh, cover uh, some of the stuff that we may have covered before, but uh, they may need a refresh. They may, uh, may need an introduction on. Um, sure. So we should keep that in mind as we're talking. Uh, but first thing, the 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 character who writes this piece, of Prose Levant, You said Levent Tay. What now? Levant Te Alfran have we met this person before we have not no we no. have not met this person before okay uh do you want to give a? and this
1: r- is this is fairly disconnected from the the main story that i'm i'm telling in in ecairn
0: oh side quest excellent um the, <laughs> uh, can you uh, real 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 quick can you give a quick uh summary of what the tamar company is
1: so um in ecairn in the, the main culture that I, I've described so far, which is the Abesque culture, uh, colloquially known as the Spires, the companies are sort of mercenary slash trading companies. So imagine something like the East India Company or the, the Dutch the Dutch East India Company or the, the Hudson Bay Company, things like that from the era of era of colonialism, uh, possibly a bit more explicitly militaristic than all of those were. Um, well, I mean, I guess the, the East India Company definitely was. Um, so there's somewhere between uh, mercenaries and that.
0: And they, uh, I think, when you say the East India Company, I think people are immediately thinking ships and uh, yes. uh, naval, um, I suppose, exploration and colonialization. Uh, but mm-hmm. what's occurring here uh, is more airship related.
1: Yes. So the... the- setting of Icairn, the planet of Icairn has much lower gravity than Earth and um, as as such it's uh, easier for the people there to develop uh, airborne technologies. So um, the culture of the spires
0: um,
1: have access to airships.
0: Mm -hmm. East India Company but in the sky. Uh, Cool. Sure. Uh, Going back to the top of the pros there. uh, Shkarja Shkaria's camp yeah. tell me a little bit about Shkaria and this camp and anything you can talk around this because this is another new character uh, so yes give us a load so
1: we, we've we've heard we've heard reference to the Hoytan before mm-hmm. um and we know it's a, it's an island a large island to the east of kind of the the uh, Abesque land um and the I think the main reference we've had to the before is that uh Someone said something about the tent of a Hoytan chief. Um, and this is part of what's going on here. Uh, Levent is going to speak to a Hoytan chief, um, in his, in his camp at his tent. Um, the, the Hoytan, they do have permanent, um, towns and, and things. They, they have like proper settlements. Um, but the, their leaders, their chiefs and stuff are, Expected to be a bit more nomadic and and be out living among the land, and then uh, other things like tradespeople and craftspeople uh, will be more settled.
0: Uh, and is this is this the chief that was referred to in the previous work? Same chief or different chief?
1: Uh, there wasn't a specific chief referred to. It was just it was kind of a, a figure of speech, like the. Uh, somewhere exotic, like the tent of a Hoitan chief.
0: Ah, uh, okay, okay. It wasn't
1: cool. referring to a specific person.
0: And, and what can you tell us about Chikarja in particular?
1: Um, I haven't developed him much beyond this. Um, I'll talk when when we've gone through the end. I'll, I'll talk about my kind of
0: overall thoughts on this and some of the difficulties I had writing it. Uh, um, okay, cool. Uh, can I? Can you you say he here. Uh, and maybe it's a typo yeah. that won't be present in the final thing. But uh, unless mm-hmm. I've missed something, uh, I think you refer to this person both as he and she.
1: As in, she rushed off and returned with a suit of clothes.
0: Oh, is that a servant of the of the the, the Yeah,
1: that that's that's his lieutenant. His lieutenant ah, rushes okay. off and and returns with clothes. Yeah.
0: Sorry, I had it in my, in my head there that that you 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 slipped up there. All right, so that's the that's yeah. the camp and that's the chief. What else I got here?
1: Um And the camps will will move around. They're not they're not permanent camps, like they'll they'll move around and outsiders are kind of they're not supposed to know where the permanent settlements are. So like they live in kind of hidden towns and villages, the Hitan do. Oh
0: very
1: non hoytan aren't allowed to, to find out where they are.
0: Oh, but but this person clearly has found out.
1: No, no.
0: Oh, but he's he's arrived at the camp.
1: Yeah, they're allowed to know where the camps are. They're um, not allowed to know where the towns are.
0: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. uh Page two here. uh You write mm-hmm. there cannot be any Hoitan chief uh, who thus addresses an Abeski company man. Not anymore. Care to elaborate? Yes.
1: Well, this is this is um, what he's referring to further down as well. Um, yeah. the, the my disgust at what had taken place in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, basically a company a vessel massacred
0: a, 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 a Hoitan camp. This thing that happened in the West, Bill, did we? Was this part of your writings before?
1: No, this this still happened within Um uh, So it's it's not something that I've referred to before but a, a company not the not the Tamar company um one one of the other companies because as, as i said there's a few had a sort of a violent encounter with a hoitan camp and not a particularly militarized
0: camp and uh, oh. massacred them yeah oh, okay so the the Hoi- the hoitani hoitani is that the correct demonin yeah, let's say this. All right, sure. Uh so the Hoitani are kind of like we don't we don't like those Basque people anymore. Don't talk to them. They're not allowed anywhere near us. After
1: what um, happened. Um they're inclined to be like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's as always it's a little bit more complicated than that. There are different factions within the Hoitan, there are different factions within the the companies. Um the companies don't all get along. Um but broadly speaking these kind of two cultures are the are seeing t- the uh, the Hoytani are seeing the ways in which the Abeski um are
0: dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm assuming this uh this company man or ex company man who writes this uh this letter, um I'm assuming he 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 did he did a fin uh, from Star Wars. He was like, damn, my, my side ain't great here, uh, and he chose to like defect. I don't know if it's the correct word. Uh, give up his company ways, and is he trying? Is he at the camp to try t- t- to seek forgiveness? Is that what's occurring? Kind of, yeah. So
1: his his role was to live in Hoi Tan and and be kind of a, a scout and an informant for the for the Tamar Company. Um. So and this is a thing that happened a lot through history that you know there would be, uh, for example. U.S. Army scouts that would go and they they would live among the Lakota or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and they would kind of try to integrate themselves into their into their culture and whatever their own morals and their own feelings on it were, they became part of the the military apparatus that w- was used to attack mm-hmm. uh, the Lakota, um, and this so he kind of had that sort of role. Um and he is attempting to reject that role. He's he has realized the harm that is that is intended and the exploitation that is intended um by the companies against these people and is attempting to to take to, to step away from it. Hmm.
0: Uh, do you know yet why he necessarily needs to go uh, and like seek forgiveness and things? Like you could just defect and just uh, you know, I'm gonna spend the rest of my the rest of my life in the foothills of whatever mountain, you know, like he doesn't necessarily have to seek out these people and be all like, I come to you begging forgiveness.
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a moral thing. It's like yep. what happened was wrong. And I, I want to have no, I, I want to have no more part of it. And um, he wants to be accepted by them. Like he's, I suppose, kind of going native in a sense, or he, he, he intends to, um, but he sees the ways in which that's a, a problem. Um, and, yeah, I, I suppose that that's it. Really, he wants to he wants to make it clear that that he has no more part in in that process, and mm-hmm. he wants to be accepted by them eventually.
0: Okay, cool. Um, on, on to page three, uh, if that's okay. Hmm. Uh, so yep. on page three, um, you have the first bit of page three. Oh, I'm sorry, listeners, you're probably not going to see this in pages. Uh, just so, just. <laughs> Bear with the notebook for a second. Um favorite paragraph of this uh, PC written bill of mine is uh, it goes uh the Tan have a have a stronger taboo against the naked form than we. I hope by this act of debasement uh, to impress the, the sincerity of my intent. That's a class bit of world building. I I really enjoy that. You know like different oh, cultures you. have different opinions on certain like cultural things and in this case it's uh the naked form i really i really like that it's very very cool and it's cool the way i don't know it's kind of cool the way this dude uh knows enough about these people to like uh, understand how to like you know he like he he's seeking to talk to them on their terms do you know what i mean and not just like coming in there being all like yo forgive me <laughs> <Do> you know <laughs> Church. Church. Uh, I I think that's I think that's really cool. It's really, really cool. Thank you. Um and then, so then I underlined he for the pronoun thing, but we discussed that. And um, what's occurring on page four? And then I have nothing on page four. I have very few notes this this month, Bill. Um so I'm sorry about that. Uh do you have anything that's fine. do you have anything uh to elaborate on from this piece? No,
1: I think we, we we've picked up most of it. Um, yeah, I guess the, the main thing was i I was thinking about colonialism and stuff. Um, and I wanted to to tell broadly the story of the, the person who is put in the position where they are told to infiltrate and inform on uh, the the kind of intended colonisees the, the people that are looking to that the the colonizers are looking to conquer hmm. or exploit in whatever manner um and you know there, there's a this is a fairly common story you know uh, the the obvious comparison as i said earlier is with um the treatment of Native Americans and how you know the the u s army would have scouts that would go and live among them but they would really they would be serving the the army um even if they didn't intend to uh or you know the the Indian agents as they were called. Mm. Um, who were meant to be mediators, but really they were working on behalf of white supremacy. And yeah, I kind of, I kind of wanted to do that without making the, the, the character like s- particularly sympathetic or anything. Um, and I was also trying to avoid making it too explicitly like any, like make the the colonized culture too specifically like anything from real life. Sure. Um. And I, I had a little bit of difficulty in building, in, in, in how to build the Hoitani without making those, um, those comparisons obvious. Um, yeah. Or, or kind of falling into tropes about portraying noble savages and things like that. And I'm not sure how well I did this. I don't know what the, what the, what the picture that the, you or the audience are going to take away about the Hoitani from this, from this writing is. Um, I, I can ju- kind of justify that to myself in a way because it is this is the colonizer talking about them. So it would make sense for him to kind of have noble savage stereotypes and stuff. But I still wasn't fully comfortable with that being how I portrayed it. So I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, if, can I be brutally honest here? Uh, I think <laughs> that uh, at least the way I read it is that I immediately uh, got images of the noble, the noble savage sort of trope. Like right. I was immediately thinking of kind of like the the peaceful, uh, peaceful like you know people of the plains in touch with their bodies and the the land, etc. And then this yeah. that, uh, Besky is a is a capitalist and things like that. So, but what you say there at the end, where it's like these are his words, so like his character should probably think like this a little bit that that does make sense but um yeah, but yeah i totally sympathize like it's a, it's a really hard thing to write like the minute you th- the, write something about like say the, the the colonized uh party in this in this exchange it, you're always going to run into these problems of like the noble savage and things like that it's just it's i i don't uh, i don't envy your task of having to try and write right for these people
1: so it's that's that's something I'm going to try and develop more to give them a a clearer identity that mm-hmm. isn't just tropes and cliches about what colonizers think of colonized people on Earth.
0: Yeah, that would be really interesting to do as well, for sure. Um, but it's like I said, it, it'll that'll be really tough. Um, so mm-hmm. again, I don't envy your position. Um, a quick, quick question. Yep. Yeah. Uh, On the subject of uh, uh, colonization, um, do you think that colonization is a natural uh, thing that falls out of a sentient species? Like any given sentient species will at some stage in its development seek to to, uh, oppress others and, you know, colonize, take over their lands, etc. Or do you think this is... Species, yeah, exactly. Or do you think this is a human thing? Like, say, in many thousands of years, whatever, when we become, when we become like an interplanetary species or an inter interstellar species, um, what do you think the odds are that we bump into a race on some planet that looks at us and our colonization colonial ways and goes the like looks at us as if like how do you even think like that? Like that's something that we would we have never even considered. Or do you think it's a natural Evolution of the sort of like survival of the fittest evolutionary type thing. Where where do you think? What do you think?
1: I don't think I don't think it it fits in with survival of the fittest at all. Um, really? Yeah, because I mean that's that's a thing that like people throw around as in like only the toughest and the hardest survive. But that's not what's meant by fittest. Fittest just means most suited to the environment that they're in. Um. And there are so many other strategies other than hmm. murder to <laughs> to fit into a society to fit into an environment. Um. So I would I wouldn't see them as being particularly connected at all. Um, okay. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like cooperation and stuff that could could be just as easily considered the fittest for the environment you're in. Um. I mean, I th- I think yeah, we could absolutely encounter other. Other sentient that think we're we're terrible and awful uh, and um, unhinged for the the history of, of colonization um, that exists on Earth, uh, but I mean we could also encounter others that are worse. Mm-hmm. Um, we could we could encounter others where genocide is the norm rather than colonization. I mean, like, like more immediate, specifically directed genocide, as opposed yeah. to the kind of accidental, kind of, oh, well, I guess that just happened, genocide that comes with, with colonization. Um, sure. Um, and I don't know to what extent colonization can be, like, considered the total norm for human societies. I mean, it is a thing that empires do, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's... It is a, you know, a particularly fairly recent history thing done by one broad cultural area. Um, And, you know, other empires have done it as well, but historical empires had different methods of extending hegemony um, that aren't exact analogues to kind of Euro-American that that don't, that don't translate that well to Euro-American colonization of the last couple hundred years. Um, so I think it's probably a a, a bit pr- a premature to consider it a sort of a u- human universal
0: hmm okay that makes sense that makes sense um if we just just for a second assume that it is a kind of human universal just for the sake of this argument and we assume okay. that the um the spectrum which people operate goes from like say what we brought up there about like cooperation um mm-hmm and uh, the and then on the other end of the spectrum is like just genocide, right? And then colonialism mm-hmm. exists somewhere on that spectrum as well. If we're an interstellar species encountering and mingling with many other sentients, what do you think? Um, and we assume that these sentients evolved uh, in the same kind of way as us, from the same sort of like evolution ran the same sort of way, and like you know we 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 evolve based on fulfilling. Uh, a survival need, etc. cetera, uh, what do you think the probability would be that such a sentient, Where, where, what would the probability be that they fall on uh, whatever end of the spectrum? Like, are we more likely to see sentience, do you think, that would be cooperative and we would be anomalous? Or do you think we're more likely to see sentience that would be more, not necessarily colonialist, but more towards a militaristic sort of thing uh, and we would just be seen as some flavor of their uh, military takeover ethos or whatever part of me
1: thinks that cooperation would be more the norm um purely just because i think it would be so expensive to exist in space um and the the distances involved are so vast and like the expense of having a war would be so high
0: Hmm.
1: that i think just like from an economic and a practical and a logistical point of view, cooperation is more likely to succeed.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. We're going to find the federation of planets out there. I hope so. <laughs> we might be the ones creating it, but we might we might plead to join once we realize that. Oh, oh, crap! With the space thing, everyone needs to work together, uh, and we'll be we'll be uh, lobbying hard to get into the pact. Um, it makes me so every so often I think about it and it makes me so sad that I'm living at a time where we're not an interplanetary species like even even <laughs> a sort of like we don't even ha- we don't have any connection to our own planets in our system and whilst yeah. I, I you know I I think we'll probably set foot on Mars within my lifetime but like we're not going to see I don't think that we're going to see like infrastructure on Mars in our lifetime at all and that's really sad I think I and mean, I think about that and I'm like Damn it! I ju- I came too early, too early. Ah, oh. it's frustrating.
1: <laughs> it's it's terrible being in a sub type one Kardashev civilization. I know, right?
0: <laughs> but but not, no, but not even like no. I I realize like people could go like you know like just like you said there like you, you could be like oh wow isn't it terrible living in a time where you don't have access to the entire galaxy? Like yeah, obviously by definition yes. I wasn't right? being sarcastic. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Uh but like even uh, but just I think the point at which I'd be like I am really glad to be alive for this thing would just be other humans on another planet. Doesn't have to go outside the solar system. It it could even be like people living on the moon, for example. I would just love to exist in, in a place in a universe where or at a time period where we're just interplanetary. Uh where you can take I would have a, go and take a trip to see my uncle on the moon. Like that would be class. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. But like, it's just ne- it's never gonna happen, and it just makes me very sad. Um, anyway, so that was that was uh, Bill's take on colonialization and uh, uh, whether or not sentient species will be uh, prone to colonialization. Um, people in the Reddit, let us know. Be interesting to know what what your thoughts are on this. Um, because I don't think I'm as optimistic as you are, Bill, with regards to this. I think, I think uh, people, all sentience, will. My gut is that they will try to dominate others. And uh, I, just, I would even say that the, the genocide thing might even be more than norm. It's just a very effective way of getting access to resources. If the people who currently are standing on top of said resources are just not there. Like that's really depressing to think, but I think that that might actually be the norm. Um, and maybe we're, uh, they would look at us with our colonization and go, Oh, you're very wimpy with your, with your, with your colonization. Why don't you just eradicate them? You know, like the, I, I, yeah. I would skew towards, I would skew toward that end of the spectrum. Um, but well, maybe I'm just being overly pessimistic. Who knows? But yeah, so if you have uh, nothing else to add on this, uh, shall we talk a little bit about uh, my video for January? Let's, let's do that. Um, so I I actually kind of don't want to talk that much about it because uh, in a kind of reversal of the way things usually work, I put up the Q&As uh, before the podcast uh, came out. So much of my opinions on the videos, uh, the video, is already out there in the ether to the to the majority of people who will uh care to listen to those things. Um, but you said pre-show, Bill. You have a couple of things to bring up, so I thought we should do that, and we'll 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 go from there.
1: Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a, a huge amount. Um, and I think you covered most of it. Um, as the videos, because I I caught up in all your videos. Um, the last like three or four. Um, so about the the word order thing. Um, will you will be addressing cases and the kind of the, the morphology question there at some stage right
0: Oh oh sorry sorry I, we should we should explicitly state we're referring to word order this video enjoyed you uh, links in the show notes to go check out this that video yeah. uh, I'll also put the Q a uh, the follow-up video as well uh, just so people can of yes. like understand the totality of the context here. Um, so yeah cases uh, y- y- yes and no. Uh no in the sense that I've already made a video on cases, but yes, in the sense that uh i I have plans to do a video um that is more uh, deals with free word order a bit more, so there's going to be some sort of like case will creep into that uh or at least some okay. sort of marking is going to creep into that, and that will be discussed a little bit, but a full blown video on cases no because that's that already exists
1: okay yeah but like about marking nouns for their their role within the within the thing uh, and how that like affects word order sure yeah it ad- will be addressed to some degree
0: it, 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 it yeah uh, I can say almost cool. for certain that that will occur yes
1: um I was very confused by the the presence of framing in one of your um I think it was in your patreon link where it was uh, you, this video, this enjoyed, or something like that. So mm-hmm. you used the, the, the framing as you referred to in the video from, um,
0: Malagasy? Uh, yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced. I think so.
1: Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh no, he's made a terrible mistake there. Cause you wouldn't have the, wouldn't have it there twice. It is an award order question. Um, but I trusted that you knew what you were doing and I enjoyed learning that. Um, Uh, from the follow-up videos, uh, so, um, someone referred to, uh, Sprachbunds. Mm -hmm. Um, and, oh yeah, also, like someone else said, uh, you, you, it's wonderful hearing you speak German. (laughs) I really, I really enjoy hearing you speak German. Really? Um,
0: Yeah, I do. Man, I wish I wish the German speakers in my life actually taught that as well. Like I don't, uh, <laughs> there, there's zero chance that these people are listening, so I, I, I don't feel too bad divulging this. I think the German speakers in my life look at me like some sort of village thick when I try to speak German, and they just automatically default. To English And I'm just like No matter how much I plead with them To be like Please talk to me In German Like I need the practice They're just like Yes In English obviously Uh, Now uh, Obviously Obviously what's occurring there Is that like Nine times out of ten I'm meeting these German speakers Um around other english speakers and it's it's just politeness to default to the language that everyone uses um and but i think that just becomes the norm so even when you're not in a predominantly english context people just germans in particular i think just want to move straight into english given that they're they're all so good at english and that's even my experience in germany like i'd be in germany speaking german two germans and they just they, they clock they can hear my voice that i'm not a native speaker so out of politeness they just switch immediately and i'm like guys guys come on like you gotta speak to me in german
1: <laughs> it is very frustrating when you when you want to practice a language and the other person just wants to speak your first language yeah very frustrating
0: it is and, and it's born out especially in germany at least the impression i get is that it really is born out of a, a politeness thing um, and because most Germans have some degree of English they're just like I'm going to be polite to this person I'm going to speak uh, address them in their native tongue um, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't begrudge them that at all but it, like I said yeah, it's extremely frustrating when you want to practice and everyone just speaks to you in German um, but uh, thank you I'm glad that you enjoyed my German I'm glad that the pronunciation wasn't abysmal uh, and yeah <laughs> uh,
1: but the point I was going to make about the can you say it for me Sprachbund Sprachbund <laughs> about those dads, um, that they're so they're a group of languages that are kind of geographically close to each other. Um, is part of it that they're not genealogically linked?
0: Yeah, yeah. As far now, okay. I I need to preface this by saying that I know I don't know very much about Sprachbunds, but my understanding is that yes, they they don't need to be of the same family or whatever. They just. Just by proximity, they adopt stuff yeah. from one another, uh, but, but that doesn't necessarily uh, mean they can't be of the same family either. It's just, it's just a. It seems to be just a function of proximity. Languages together okay. will tend to mingle a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Grand. That, yeah, that was most of it. Um, warning, potential new listeners, about my laugh. Um, that was amusing. Uh, uh, the return. the the return of sandwich discourse, um, yes. which OG podcast listeners will be familiar with for about six months ago. So I'm. Um, um, this is why you should listen to the podcast. You get a you get an insight into mm. what's going to be coming up. You get a mm-hmm. deeper insight into Edgar and preview of, of what might be happening.
0: Uh, on on the sandwich thing, uh, I read it not related to word order at all. But you know, while we're here, um, I I'm actually re- I was I was wondering should I bring up the sandwich thing because I did want to talk about prescriptivism and I was like I don't know should I I bring that up because people might take it that I'm just like insulting them when like 99% of the comments that had sandwich in them were were light hearted humour a few people were kind of like you're an idiot and you can't speak proper like you know uh, and I was just kind of like I do want to bring it up for that 1% to maybe nudge them into thinking slightly differently. But I don't want to insult insult the 99% who are just like, you know, understood what prescriptive was and were just having crack. Um, yeah. But in the end, I went with it. And I'm really glad because there was a couple of times where people started talking about their own dialects and how how they pronounce the word or similar words in their own dialects. Uh, like, there was people, I think, from uh, the Northern England talking about how they say it, and there was people asking other people about how, how they would say it as well. So there was a kind of... It generated a small sort of, like, let's discuss our dialects a bit more. And that was really great to hear. Really great, because, like... Yeah, I think because of, you know, dominant American culture, we kind of think in our heads, we think of English as being general American English too much. And we forget about the nuances of like the Yorkshire accent or the Cornwall accent or uh, Munster Hiberno English or, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the sort of New England English, etc. Uh, and people got it really got into like examining the way they speak based off the way I pronounced the word sandwich, which made me feel really good. And and people took the thing really well. There weren't people being all like, you d- you're calling us prescriptivists. That's terrible. People took it really well. So I was very, very pleased.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I agree and I fully support dialectical variation. Yep.
0: Yeah, fully agree. Um have you got anything else on the video?
1: Um I think I said this to you before. But you look queer, like Adam Neely a couple of, did it a couple of years ago.
0: <laughs> You've never said that before, to me, man. I look like Adam Neely, do I? Okay.
1: Well, the way he looked a couple of years ago with the with the when he had the very short haircut, and so like a so like couple of your mannerism stuff from his Q and A videos, it Get struck out. me again this morning. Yeah, wow. I think so. For those of you who don't know, Adam Neely is a really, really good music YouTuber.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. He's a very good musician. Links in the show notes. We've dropped him in the show notes loads of times, but we'll do it again. He's, he's awesome. Um, I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah. I mean, I could be Adam Neely. You've never seen myself and Adam Neely in a room before. You know, we could be the same person. That
1: is true. Yeah. You could be.
0: Yeah. Um, and we're not in the same room recording, Bill, so you don't know I'm not in the States. I mean, it could be the middle of the true. night here for me, you know. I mean, that, you know,
1: I am sitting in a room different to the one you are in now. <laughs>
0: um, but uh, yeah, so that's the that's the word order stuff. Yeah, uh, that's, that's word order. That's word order. Uh, go check out the videos, etc. There'll be more coming up on the channel about word order because um, one video cannot, uh, one video and a follow up cannot cover the complexities of word order, um, even if you're aiming for a very basic overview of Word Order, which I was going for. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, watch this space. Shall we crack into the first installment of Artifacts in Book Club Corner? Let's do it. Okay, so let's talk books. Uh, We have been reading Embassy Town. Delicious books. (laughs) Delicious (laughs) books. Embassy Town by China Mievel. We've been reading Embassy Town by Miéville, Mievel. Um, so uh, I suppose we should go, like, we should summarize the book, uh, talk about how we feel about the book, uh, and then we'll set a new book for homework for, I don't know, April or something. Yeah? Sure. Okay. Um. Do you want to summarize the book? Because I guarantee you you're going to do a better job than I do because I found the book a little confusing. <laughs> so uh, Embassy Town is a science fiction novel
1: set in a kind sort of unspecified but distant future mm-hmm. and it's about the um, interactions between a human society and a society of aliens who um, whose language can only speak truths
0: mm. they cannot lie
1: they cannot lie they're incapable of lying and it's kind of... It's an examination of the nature of language and what that means to, to not be able to, to lie and what, what that signifies for speech and for thought. Um, and the other element of it is, is it's kind of a story about colonization. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Where the, where the humans, the humans are the colonizers. The humans are the invaders. Um, in a sense, but rather than being your straightforward, military invasion it's kind of a uh a mimetic invasion and the ways in which human the the influence of humanity on the the thought and on the language of these aliens
0: yeah yeah uh that's that is a but that's a good summary of the themes of the book but uh dare i say not a great summary of the actual plot
1: <laughs> oh you wanted a summary of
0: the plot <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, let me try and summarize it at you and see if I got this correct, because there was many points okay. in the book where it's like, what is going on? Like, where am I and what's <laughs> happening? So uh, tell me if I'm wrong here. So just like you say, the embassy town is a, uh, it's, a it's a town on a very, very distant uh, planet in the far but unspecified uh, future at the edge of the known universe. Uh, and we might get into the space stuff a little bit. I don't know, but there's a whole thing with space as well. Um, mm-hmm. In Embassy Town, like you said, there are the native uh, alien species, the native species, and then there are human uh, colonizers. Uh, the, the aliens speak uh, language, it's called, with a capital L, and they do this by producing two sounds at once. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if the two, if, if two, oh, oh yeah, two sounds at once. And those two sounds have to come from the one mind in order for them to understand language. It is not language yeah. if two sounds aren't occurring at once and they aren't coming from the one mind. Now, this is a problem for the humans because we aren't built like that. So what the, the colonizing government, I suppose, called the Bremen, um, uh, they uh, genetically engineer humans, I think twins. Uh, yes, no, twins. They genetically engineer twins to kind of have sort of one mind with a kind of neural link sort of thing going on. And then they learn language. And once those genetically engineered one mind twins can speak language, they can speak to the native species, the Ari- Arike, Arikene, or something like that, the hosts. Um, once they, uh, and so they act as ambassadors, capital A, that's the, the their job. They are basically the mediators between humans and hosts and they're the ones that can speak the language correctly. Um, so the events of the book kick off with there being a new ambassador, a new kind of weird anomalous ambassador who isn't twin and isn't of one mind, but can speak language and the hosts listen to this and go ho oh god and they lose their minds literally they become they become like addicted to the speech of this ambassador the ambassador is called Ezra uh, and that's two people remember one called Ezra and one called Ra, but they're kind of treated together as Ezra one word um so the the the, the locals become enthralled basically to uh, to this new way of speaking, and, like, their society begins to crumble, chaos sets in, uh, all this sort of jazz. Uh, loads of complicated things happen in the middle. We have a suicide. We have uh, a quasi-religious side quest thing going on. There's a festival of lies, all this sort of jazz. Uh, basically, what they need, basically, Ezra gets, uh, one of Ez dies, one of the Ezra uh, pair dies, and, um, in an effort to kind of keep society stable, they uh, kind of make a new ambassador that's capable of delivering the drug of language to the hosts to, you know, keep up the semblance of a society. And inadvertently, in creating this new, newer ambassador, uh, not only are are the hosts addicted to the language of this person, but they are now utterly enthralled. Like, as in, if if, if this new ambassador says, uh kill yourself for example they would just kill themselves like they 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 can't they're so they're, they become almost like zombies they're compelled to obey they become compelled to obey exactly and then uh and then what occurs is basically uh the the rest of the plot is basically the f- some of the hosts some of the locals become free of this intoxication and the 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 book is basically playing out uh, the events of trying to free up uh, the species of, of this uh, enthrallment and uh, mm-hmm. there's a there's a big battle at the end and uh, things end with, with basically the hosts the way they think, the way they speak, everything about them has been irrevocably changed because they can now lie uh, and all this sort of jazz. So TLDR, humans come in, mess things up and then irrevocably and probably uh, negatively uh, damage this species forever is that a summation of the book um I
1: would I would dispute the, the value judgment there at the end that it's probably negative um but yeah, that's that's a, a pretty good uh, thing of the plot.
0: Okay, so he, so this is the key point I wanted to bring up to you about this book. And it goes on our conversation already about colonization. What do you think? Do you think there is a value judgment in this book? And if so, what do you think it is? Because I finished a book with a really uncomfortable taste in my mouth. You felt it was pro-colonization? Very much pro-colonization. It's like humans come in, Right. Uh, almost like the, the uh, like, imagine, right? Like, imagine England back in the day, right? Some pro-colonial uh, sympathizer would be all like, okay, sure, we ca- we went into India, for example, and yeah, things didn't go great, and people were hurt, and yeah, India's never been the same again, but look, we gave them railways. Like, look, look at all the infrastructure yeah. we brought. And in this book, it, it seems to be very much like humans come in, they... They, there's a species that cannot lie, they, that their their language has to be a reflection of the, of the world. Humans come in, destroy mm-hmm. that for them, irrevocably changing who they are. And the value judgment at the end of the book seems to be one of like, well, that's better. They are now sentient. Pre-us coming in, because they couldn't lie and stuff, they're not really sentient. They're just almost like passive, uh, passive observers Automata. of... Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, but the humans came in. We didn't do it very well, but we freed them from the shackles of subsentience, And now this species mm. is better off for us, go us humans. And I was like, that's weird. And then I looked up China able's political uh, leanings and he's like extremely left-leaning. And I'm like, how is yeah. this guy bringing in a pro-colonial narrative into this book? Like, I just, I was, and then I thought like, did I read the book wrong? Like, I was just, I was, weird so did you get that feeling what did you think
1: i i i absolutely see what you're saying um and i th- i think that is a potential reading of it for sure i i would say that there isn't a, a an implied value judgment in the ending it's more that like humans cause this to happen and this is just where we are now um and it's more like the the ending was the 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 best alternative or the the best option out of the out of the options they were given by the the events of the narrative um but i'm not you know i wouldn't i wouldn't totally disagree with you either i I, I mean i could see where you where you're coming from with that um and yeah there there's there's i I would understand the discomfort there for sure it's a curious one
0: it is um i i I, I would push back against that because I think I don't know maybe maybe give the last couple of chapters another read or something but like there was a number of times where the characters like expressly stated we have brought sentience to these people and like okay yeah the, no one you know China didn't write in in the uh, in the footnotes being all like this is a good thing but like the notion like yeah. how can bringing sentience to a person not be perceived as a good thing you have basically, Given th- these aliens like life, given given them sentience, like what what better gift? And because of that, and because it's explicitly stated, th- the pro-colonial narrative, I think, is is explicit, not implicit. And I don't think yeah. it's it's a reading. I think I I half think that it's kind of what he meant, which is weird. <laughs> and I don't I I can't reconcile that. Like it's weird.
1: Yeah, um, it is curious.
0: It is curious, uh, and, and that kind of plays into complexity as well, because if, when you do know the context of this book, you're like, the whole thing is just this, this quagmire of complexities. It's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Did you, what are your overarching feelings about this book? Mine is, like I said, it's, I think it's a uh, pro colonialist propaganda, very well-written, very intelligent uh, sci-fi that has this weird pro colonialist propaganda uh, element to it. What were your take-homes from the book?
1: Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I did the first time I read it. Because the first time around, I, I thought it kind of just loses steam towards the end. And I mean, I, I think that's still kind of true that it it sets up all this really interesting stuff. Um, and then at the end, it's just like, oh, and now there's a war. And I was a little, I felt a little let down by that. Um, but overall, I, I, I think it's good. And I think it's it's very it's very thoughtful and as you mm. say it's very it's it, very intelligent and the ways in which it, it it plays with the with the the words and with the, the kind of the concepts of language and the meanings of language um i really enjoyed this time around mm. like the, the 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 whole the what the triggering lie that kind of makes the, the changes everything is when a host is able to say before the humans we did not speak mm-hmm. um and you know that that's that's a, that's a lie, and the being able to say that, um, and a host being able to tell that lie is a is a really important event in the plot. Yeah, yeah. But it is there's it, kind of a fun paradox there in that it is it is not a, an untrue statement because before they weren't speaking; they were just they were just saying, yes. and being able to tell that lie paradoxically made it true because then they were able to communicate in this new way that was true speech. Mm. Um, And I thought that was quite interesting. Um, I thought that, I thought it was interesting to have a language that can only speak the truth um, and have that be a sort of difficult or expose the problems and the flaws of that. I think in a a lot of settings, like in a fantasy setting or something, that would be this incredible magical thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Rather than this, like, quite limiting thing. Um, it, it does so much more world building than it actually uses. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is, is kind of fun. Like, there's so much set up that he never comes back to. Um, and I mean, I I think he's a, he's a really good world builder based on, based on his fantasy series as well. Um, and he's really good at, like, setting up evocative and compelling and interesting ideas that he doesn't necessarily exploit. Mm -hmm. Um, which could be a, a a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your point of view, um, but yeah, like like he tells quite a lot of detail about the the space element of the setting, um, and that's that's not really relevant to no. anything. It's not. It doesn't affect the actual plot, um, and I kind of I appreciate that in the book. Though. I appreciate when it's not like super tight and everything is to the surface of the plot, because that's not real. It's mm-hmm. not r- realistic. Agreed, yeah. There's more happening in the world than the immediate narrative of, of one thing. Um And it, yeah, it's it's beautifully written.
0: It, it is it is beautifully written. It is it's very beautifully written. He's a he's a he's a skilled writer, hundred percent. Um yeah. on on the world building thing, um I I, I sometimes felt like um he he does like anti star wars. So you know star wars it's like we set things up and we would expra- explain them to the nth degree. Like you're going to yeah. know you're going to know the the pasteurization process of this blue milk whether you want to know it or not. Um <laughs> uh, whereas whereas uh china medieval will will just tell you elements of the, the setting and then never talk about them again. And that's that's really great. Yeah. That's really great. But sometimes I think he does too much and there's loads of points where like, what exactly are you talking about? Like, I still don't know what the hell a MIAB is and I'm not entirely sure I know what a true is. a message is. in a bottle. A MIAB is a message in a bottle.
1: M-I-A-B, message in a bottle.
0: Oh, what? what but what? There was messages in bottles? Is, are, is that figurative or is that they, they
1: were. They were... <laughs> no, that that's explained near the start. It's it's an unmanned, an unmanned like uh, package sent from Bremen to Embassy Town. I totally missed that then.
0: Um, and what was the other thing? A, a trade. And I'm pretty sure. I'm, yeah, he he doesn't explicitly explain that. Yeah, but. no, I, I'm pretty sure what he meant by that is like a, a 3D photograph of some some description or a hologram type yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a 3D hologram. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. So I I'm clearly wrong about the Mayab not being explained, but uh, maybe it's the uh, it's the notion that it's not exp- it's not referred to enough that I'm I'm reminded of what it is. It's like we're, you're told right. once, real quickly in a sentence or whatever, and then. You just need to make sure you understand that going forward, and it can be sometimes a bit, a bit much, and in particular at the very start. Now, this is a problem, obviously, with science fiction novels in general, and fantasy novels to some degree. Is uh, he did dump an awful lot of words on you, uh, like there was a lot yeah. of new lingo to learn, like the the manchmal, the immer, uh, never mind the whole like uh, it's the hosts and the hosts are also the ari arike ari arikane or whatever they're called. Uh, yeah. And then there's also a couple of other, they're called exots. Uh, so that's non host, non human species that live on this planet. And they all have a couple of names. Oh, uh, host, oh host or exots?
1: Exot just means alien.
0: Right, sorry, yeah. Other they, they keep yeah. referring to like other exots. Sorry, my bad. But there are yeah. other aliens there that he also mentions. And then there's all the technology of like Vesp Cams, Trids, the Mayab thing. There's uh your the main character, Avis Benner Cho is an immerser, and that's a whole thing. Uh there's a lot is dumped very quickly at the start, and I felt myself going, oh, yeah. What what the hell is going on here? And then some of it is just like uh not explained enough for me. Uh, but I do appreciate him not going into like a chapter long, detailed description of like the uh, I don't know the ergonomics of my app. Uh, I do I do appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I, I I like how it's used very naturalistically.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the did you did you clock the little Easter egg with the main character? Uh, I don't think so. So her, her name is Avis Benner Cho, uh, and yeah. so her initials are ABC. All right, and like in a, I like I thought like in a in a thing about language and uh, fundamentally about like uh, getting a, sp- a species to like actually speak for the first time. The notion that the the person who kind of helps that come into uh, into reality is her initials are ABC, like as in like the fundamentals. <laughs> I thought that was kind of that was kind of fun. Um, That's cute. It
1: was very did, cute. Did you um, catch the did, did you catch the Easter egg about the the zombie films? No, not even slightly. What are you talking about? <laughs> they watched two George Romero zombie films at one point.
0: Didn't catch up whatsoever.
1: Okay. Hold on, I'm actually going to get my Kindle, and I'll be back in two seconds. I'll read out. I'll read out the extract to you.
0: Okay, cool. Just
1: we'll have dead air. I'll talk to listeners.
0: Hi, listeners. Bill is gone, and uh, I don't know what to say uh, in this instance. Um, uh, I wonder how many of you read the book. I know some of you did. Um, and I know some of you were looking forward to speaking about it. Um, I wonder how many that was. Uh, I would highly recommend this book to you. You should, you should definitely go check it out. Uh, it's a good read. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, what else do I say now? Dead air is an awful thing, listeners. It's an awful thing. I just hope Bill finds this Kindle fairly lively and comes back because I'm beginning to feel anxious about dead air oh if you do, actually we'll talk about it later listeners wait quick we have to stop we have to stop talking about Bill okay come on let's get back on it Bill's lovely we all love Bill there's nothing wrong with Bill ever of course you do I'm the best <laughs> you got your Kindle
1: I do have my Kindle now let me just scroll through here and find this so this, this is takes place when they're in the um, when they're kind of being besieged near the end when they're being besieged by the the addicted uh, hosts. Mm-hmm. Men and women bled of colour in clumsy symbolism, fortified in a house and fighting grossly sick figures. Colour came back and protagonists were in an edifice full of products and sicker enemies than before relentlessly came for them. So that's Night of the Living Dead. And oh. is, I think is Dawn of the Dead the second one? Because *Night I, of the Living Dead*, they're fortified in a house and attacked by zombies, and in *The Dawn of the Dead*, they're in a shopping mall, as the Americans would say, and attacked by zombies—an edifice full of products.
0: Oh, I, I didn't clock that whatsoever. That sounds yeah, that sounds legit. Yeah, um,
1: um, I never clocked that the first time, first time through, but it it it, it occurred to me the, no, this on this read,
0: um, that, yeah,
1: *Night of the Living Dead* and *Dawn of the Dead*. That's it.
0: Even in just that little sample there, you you can you can tell how proficient this man is at writing. Like it's crazy. It, this is yeah. This is the high end prose. Like this is really good. Because
1: um, you're into numerals at the moment, mm. um, or in, into number systems recently. Uh, the largest exact number for which a uh, terminology exists in the host language is three thousand and seventy-two.
0: Oh, what? Oh, hang on. What's the significance of that number?
1: Um, so, 2 to the power of 10 is 1024, and this is three times that. So, it's it's like a, a, a binary base, and then just the three is, is one of the stages in it. So, I, I, that's kind of a a, neat, a neatly alien. Oh. It's an easy enough number to derive, but it's it's a neatly alien way of, of getting there. It's just slightly off.
0: Oh, that's very cool. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Um... The, uh, yeah well i mean i
1: saw that 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 was the the fact and I was like oh what's that about so i i factorized it
0: hmm that's and cool we got um, uh, real quick before I finish up because i'm, I'm coming towards time where I, I I need to depart um do you, what's do you know do you know what the story is with all the German like why is there so much German in this book
1: yeah I don't know that yeah. um m- maybe maybe uh space exploration was pioneered by by Germans or something
0: yeah, yeah. I mean that would you would get that impression for the listeners? Uh, the the call again the colonizing uh, the entity government is called the Bremen. Uh, so it's it's fun to think of the town of Bremen being like the the central point mm-hmm. of human civilization. I don't know if that's the case, but you know it's, that seems plausible. Oh well,
1: no, uh, we know that that Earth is. We don't know where Earth is. Um. That's that's pretty much explicitly stated and Bremen is on a city uh, is on a planet called Dagestan.
0: Oh okay. Okay. Yeah,
1: and it's the nation, the capital of Bremen is Chiro City.
0: Uh, and so we have the Bremen and then we like I said before we have the Manchmal, which is one kind of thing with the universe and we have immer Manchmal uh, means like uh, sometimes and immer yeah. means like always uh, in German and then even his like constructed words for the hosts have very often a very German uh, feel to them. I can't recall ex- specific examples, but it just, it seems very Germanic uh, and I don't know hmm. what, what's going on there. And it kind of took me out a little bit. It was like, it was like shocking German. As if like almost like um, uh, like a bad fantasy writer will just like, I don't know, dump in a whole load of like Latin somewhere or faux Latin to make it sound like all yeah. the mysterious and it was that kind of it it, it 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 irked me a little bit at the start um D- did you catch what the the
1: sort of life form in the Emir were called no they were called high as in high fish
0: as in high is shark in german yeah yeah uh, that's more german i don't yeah i don't i don't understand it. Um I must actually look up uh, look up on these things. Um uh last thing uh, I I would like to ask you about this book. Um is the the hosts themselves, right? Mhm. Um oh well sorry, let me make one point and then let me ask you a question. The one point I want to make is that like he explicitly in writing Embassy Town wanted to create a truly alien um Character or characters, because um mm-hmm. like to paraphrase here, he's like he was a bit sick of Star Trek and it's like humans in blue skin. Uh like yeah. the, the, these these aliens are just literally humans, like except in fancy mm-hmm. in fancy clothes. And he was like, I wanted to create something completely an utterly alien. And like I realize there's limitations to how alien you can go in a novel. Um, but it's funny that like his sort of um by biology building in this book is is very, very alien, like, extremely alien. But the language sort of thing isn't really. Like, I know it's two, it's two voices speaking one mind, etc. Uh, but I see that as an extension of biology. The actual words in the book that they speak are, like, super earth Oh, yeah. Super Earth-like. Uh, I think one of the aliens... Yeah, humans like a, can produce all of the sounds. Exactly, yeah. And you're like, well, hang on now. I don't... I don't. And I realise, like, he can't say... Like, oh, the host spoke and he spoke in, uh I don't know, like the notation is frequency notation or whatever. Like they speak in white noise yeah. or whatever. Like obviously in a book you have limitations there, so there's only so much you can do. But it does kind of take you out of it when you're like, these are so alien. But one of them is called Searle Etcher. And you're like, that's not that yeah. alien. <laughs> uh, so Searle Etcher. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, the thing I wanted to ask you is, Bill, like how do you... What mental imagery do you have for the hosts for these aliens? Like, what form do you think they take? So, I I actually did
1: yesterday when I was nearly finished the book, look up on Google Images artists' impressions. Um, and I'm I'm not a very visual imaginer when I read. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get strong mental images of characters or anything. Um, but I did find some 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 interesting ones on on Google. Um, and I was I was willing to do that because I was near the end and it wasn't going to influence my reading too much. Um, so I kind of see them as uh, sort of bulbous but asymmetrical, um, and with weird fronds coming out the top and then quite low bodies uh, and spindly legs.
0: Man, that is really kind interesting. of green. <laughs> kind of green. <laughs> yeah, a sort of I, mottled green on the
1: carapace.
0: I I find we must talk at some stage about uh, you the way you uh, imagine images because I think one of the reasons why I'm such a slow reader is because like I painstakingly craft the images in my head. Um, and the notion that you kind of just have a sort of vague idea of of what a thing is is bizarre to me. Like I need to like reread certain passages just mm. to make sure I I. I know what these these things look like to me, uh, and I have a very strong mental image. Uh, do, do, would you care to hear my mental image of them? Yes, please. I'd love to. So I think these are uh, like translucent, semi-translucent. Um, do you know? Do you know when you spill oil on certain surfaces, and it turns like all the colours of the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of coloring. So semi-translucent but looking like they're like oily and have that um that pearlescence that you get with oil. Uh their body is produ- they're sort of like their main corpus is kind of like a bumblebee uh, minus minus okay. minus the coloring of a bumblebee. So imagine the translucent oiliness but like in the shape of a bumblebee and then at the front there's basically like a a a, a coral reef type structure. Uh and there are where the eyes are where the eyes are, um, and they have little they have wings like like flies like wasps, uh, and they have legs like spiders and like you I think they're really low profile and their legs spread out beyond their body it's not underneath it, um yeah and I and they're accompanied by like an amorphous. Meat dog. Like a dog made of like... If you imagine mince meat that could move. <laughs> episode title. Episode title. Amorphous meat dog. <laughs> oh my god. I think that's the first time in our like six year or whatever runtime history that like I'm going to name it after a thing I said. That's class. I'm loving it. But like, yeah. So like if you imagine like mince meat. Sentient mince meat that's vaguely in the shape of kind of like a pug. Uh... Oh, uh, that escorts them around the place. So that's what I think these aliens look like.
1: <laughs> Horrifying.
0: It is a bit, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, and what I, I particularly like what he did was, again, anti-Star Wars, he didn't give us a uh, a sort of like a full description of these characters in one go. Like, you really learn about it very slowly throughout the book. Like, the first thing I clocked yeah. was that they were bumblebee-like. And then it was like, oh, but they have spider legs. Oh, okay. And they have, and then a little bit later, it's like, they looked at me with their fa- fawnings, I think is the word he uses. Um, fan wings. Fan wings. And then it's, I was like, oh, so they have that. And it's like, you really kind of like, your the light of knowledge uh, illuminates the darkness of ignorance very slowly in this book. And that's really fun. <laughs> yeah. And as I said, that's that makes it feel real naturalistic to me. hmm mm-hmm. Um, so yeah so that's all I have to say and I'm now officially 10 minutes over time so I'm going to need to go if that's okay with you Bill cool that is Um, fine by me but very 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 quickly next book that I think we're going to read no that we are going to read and uh, if you want to enjoy book club corner with us you should go pick up this book Uh, it's called story of your life I actually don't know who wrote this book I'm going to put it in the show notes uh, and you can just click the link or whatever um it sure. is it was sold to me by biblioridian of biblioridian fame uh as a sort of extreme application of the Sapphire Wharf hypothesis so very much in keeping with embassy town um but uh we're hoping to use it as kind of compare and contrast sort of thing they seem like they inhabit the same space and we're, go- we're go- we'll talk about them i have no idea if this book is good it could be absolute garbage for all i know no idea (laughs) but we're all going to go into a blind and we'll have a great time come the next book club corner yeah sounds good okay so story of your life in the show notes bill thank you so much for podcasting with me listeners thank you so much for listening uh hi to all the new people uh you can support the show on patreon links will be in the show notes uh you can pick up some uh merch the merch is different from the main channel merch. We've got two merch streams. Uh, so you can also check that out. I'll see you all in uh, in the subreddit. And until next month, Edgar out. Out, Edgar. <laughs>